Welcome to episode 125. Are you a cold turkey person or a in moderation person? There seems to be a never ending debate with quote unquote bad food. Half of people say cut it for good and half of people say if you restrict now you'll binge later so don't cut it out completely. The truth seems to be that there are actually two types of people and so basically both sides of this debate are right. The question is which person are you and how can you figure that out? If you have any challenges with yo-yo dieting, random binge eating periods or you simply can't stick to eating healthy, whole, real food, then today's conversation is one that you should certainly consider listening to as we explore the journey from going from sugar fiend to sugar freedom, as well as how our emotions are a part of solving that problem and how parenting could be done differently when it comes to sugar and our kids. Sound good? Yeah? Well, it is. (laughs) Let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to another episode of the show. It's my mission this year to coach 250 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want before the end of December. And at this stage, we still have plenty of the year to go. So join the program today if you wish to lose weight and feel healthy in your own skin. The link is in the show notes below, so scroll down and click that link. All right, so here with me today is a fellow Quit Sugar Summit speaker that my good friend Danielle Dame, uh, who no doubt you are very familiar with. She's been on here a bunch of times, but she made sure to connect me with this person. And this person and I decided to do a bit of a podcast swap. I was lucky enough to be on her show called Unsweetened CO. And now this wonderful woman is joining us here, Siobhan Harris, who is a certified integrative nutrition health coach, obviously a podcast host, and is also certified in the Emotion Code. Siobhan started her recovery from sugar addiction in January 2018 and now she is free from its toxic grip and is now dedicated to helping others to get free too. On her podcast, she shares her journey, both its victories and its challenges, plus interviews with other addicts in recovery, sugar addiction coaches and experts too. So from one podcaster to another... Welcome to the show, Siobhan. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Maddie. I'm really excited to talk with you today. I so enjoyed having you on my podcast and it's fun we get to do the swap. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, yeah, and for anybody that's listening, your pod- podcast link will be down in the show notes below. So go and check that out. But let's dive into your story. So sugar addiction, uh, a lot of people hear that these days and kind of roll their eyes because they're like, oh, everybody's addicted to sugar, right? It's, you know, it's socially acceptable. But I'd love to know, before you decided to kick the sugar, what was going on in your life that led to that decision to be to go cold turkey on sugar? Yeah, that's a good question. And I have always struggled with sugar. Uh, Even as a kid, a little kid, I, you know, I was known as the family chocoholic. You know, we kind of laughed about it and people for all holidays, birthdays always would get me just, you know, chocolate bars. And it was kind of just this funny little side note about me. Siobhan loves, you know, chocolate. And (laughs) I really didn't. I mean, looking back now, I wasn't aware at the time, but I really struggled with 
eating it um, compulsively my entire life. I remember being as little as four or five and sneaking downstairs before anyone else was awake, climbing into the kitchen onto a stool to get, you know, into the cookie jar and just consuming as many cookies as I could before anyone else got up. And now no one told me, oh, you know, I couldn't do that. But even my four or five year old mind knew that that wasn't right. You know, that I shouldn't Mm -hmm. be eating a bunch of cookies (laughs) before breakfast. (laughs) And the interesting thing is sweets weren't like um, off limits at my house. We had dessert almost every night. Um, We had Mm -hmm. so I had access to it. It wasn't like, you know, I, I had some friends that their parents wouldn't let them eat it. So they'd come over and go like crazy. But I went crazy all the time, even though I had access (laughs) to it. I mean, I even would go to birthday parties and like a sleepover birthday party Mm -hmm. and eat so much candy that I would literally make myself sick. My mom would have to come pick me up because I'd be throwing up. Whoa. So and again, we just kind of always laughed it off like there's me and my, you know, sugar. And I was really never overweight as a kid. I was very, very active. I played sports, but Mm -hmm. you know, around puberty, it kind of started catching up with me a little bit. And that's when I started really dieting, you know, probably around, I don't know, definitely by like 15. And at the time, you know, the fad was the low fat, you know, diet. Mm -hmm. So I would eat very, very low fat. And a lot of times that fat was replaced with sugar. So, you know, it just kind of fed this addiction Mm without me knowing it. And it led to decades of just a diet binge cycle. You know, I'd be doing really great for a little bit. I'd fall off the wagon, go on a complete bender of binging everything in sight, gains any weight that I managed to lose. I probably would gain back, you know, twice or thrice fold. And it was just, um, you know, I just felt so awful about myself too, thinking, you know, why can't I get this under control? You know, what's wrong with me? Where's my willpower? Why won't this diet work for me? And I feel like I'm one of those people that has a lot of control in area, other areas of my life. I've always been, you know, really high performer. So it was, it was a really uh, difficult for me to this be like my one dirty little secret, I guess, Mm. that I couldn't (laughs) get under control. And that's what I turned to in times of, um, you know, if I was having a bad day, I would turn to food. If I was having a good day, I would turn to food. But it definitely was something that I started recognizing, too, that I was more obsessed with than friends or family. You know, so it also felt very isolating, Like I knew I, you know, I I felt like I was kind of the only one struggling with this. And I started researching and found out, you know, that there was something called binge eating disorder. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I must have that. So I went and underwent all this treatment for binge eating disorder, you know. Right. What did that look like? Yeah. So a lot of therapy. And the problem is with binge eating disorder and most um, eating disorders, the treatment is moderation. Mm Mm-hmm. So I tried to moderate (laughs) and moderate, and it's supposed to be one of those things where nothing's off limits, you know? So literally, it's like, if you love M&Ms or whatever, fill your cupboards with them in your pantry and eat them every... And I would do that for like a year, you know? Like I I never reached the point where I could 
pass on the on the M and M's or whatever. That's such a seemingly counterintuitive approach. <laughs> I know, I know. It does work, though. I will say, you know, not everybody that has an eating disorder has an underlying food addiction issue, but a lot of people do. And unfortunately, moderation is never going to help them. And that's part of the reason I like to share my story and I'm doing what I'm doing because I feel like I was pretty aware, really trying to help myself for years and years, but kept getting misdirected, you know, onto the wrong path. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I kept, you know, reading articles that there's no such thing as food addiction or sugar addiction. And, you know, it's or it's all emotional, like you must have some kind of trauma that you're dealing with. So I did a lot of therapy. I did like hypnotherapy. I mean, any kind of weird thing, you name it, I probably tried it (laughs) because I was just so desperate. And I'm just one of those people that's game for anything. It's like, okay, you know, I'll try that. And did you did you find because you sort of said, you know, I must have had some trauma and the way that you said that was sort of implying that maybe, you know, people that do have this food addiction or sugar addiction, it's not always trauma or emotion based. Yes. And I and I don't think it is. You know, a lot of eating disorders are triggered by trauma. So I don't want to take away from that. But I think there's a lot of people like me that is real just the root of it is sugar addiction. You know, really Mm -hmm. nothing else, nothing emotional, nothing, you know, trust me, after years and years of therapy, that really didn't help. You mean that on a biological level, like on a cellular level, that sugar addiction, like, is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, you know, transforms your whole brain. You know, your, your brain is just totally different from someone that doesn't have that same addiction. You know, your reward center just lights up in a way that like when an alcoholic has a some wine, say, lights up. Same thing with a, a sugar addict. It just lit me up in all the ways. And I kept, you know, needing more and more and more to kind of sustain or chase that same high, you know, much like other other drugs. So the mo- that's why in the moderation approach never worked for me. And that was really, really frustrating. Um, so for me, really, the only thing that worked was complete abstinence by removing that sugar and flour was the second piece of that. I had tried many times to do like a whole 30 or, um, you know, any kind of sugar detox, but I would do it with friends that would feel like amazing after even 10 days. And I would just be struggling. And as soon as it was over, I mean, I would just go nuts. You know, like any good progress I made just completely backtracked because the cravings really didn't go away. I was just white knuckling it, you know, through Mm -hmm. those 30 days. And for a while, I tried to like do a lot of substitution type stuff like, oh, I can have maple syrup or honey. You know, by the end, um, 2018 is when I gave this up. I got really particular about my my food kind of started changing of trying to eat more organic whole foods. But then when I'd be on these, you know, binges, <laughs> that kind of went all out the window. But I was more particular about I was making more of the baked goods. So I knew the ingredients that were going into it because I could tell I was kind of sensitive to the chemicals and the processing. So when I was going to eat something, I wanted it to be the, the best healthiest version of that, you know? Yeah, for sure. It still was, um, you know, even doing like, say, things sweetened with honey or maple syrup, it was still lighting me up. You know, it was still making me want more. I still had a hard time just having a small portion of something. Mm -hmm. 
So again, yeah, that sounds... really didn't go away until I took it out completely. And a lot of people ask me that, well, what kind of substitutions do you do? And honestly, that did not work for me. And it was part of my recovery process was changing my mindset around that, that I have to have treats or, you know, it's just, as I like to say, I had a mantra around all of this, which helped me get through, especially the first few months. But I still say it is, I don't do that anymore. I just don't, you know, so, you know, when all old triggering habits would come in, like, oh, you know, really tough day at work today. Why don't you go, you know, get a nice 70% dark chocolate bar. And I'm just like, nope, I don't do that anymore. I just don't. And it just kind of shuts it down in my brain. You know, it's just reminding mm-hmm. myself, yeah, that's, we're, we're not doing that. This doesn't work. <laughs> it sounds like you went on a big self data collection exercise of trying all of the different things. And at, like, I'm wondering, how do you get to the point of realizing, because this, in my experience, there's two types of people. There's people that need to go cold turkey and they're often like that with a lot of things in their life. They're people that are either in or they're out, you know, and they're either on or they're off. And there's some people that those foods can very comfortably sit in the sometimes food category. So how how do you know which kind of person you are? Do you have to go on this journey to try all the things after 10, 20 years and realize upon reflection, oh, I never seem to stick to anything. So maybe I should just, you know, anything temporary, maybe I should just go cold turkey. Like, how do you you figure that out? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I, and I hear this a lot with addicts that they have that all or nothing thinking. And that definitely describes me. I am very much all or nothing. So That has always been, you know, if I was on a diet, I was either all the way on it or (laughs) if I even like took one little misstep, it wasn't, oh, I'll just get back on that, Um, you know, next meal. I was just like, oh, well, I ruined this. Might as well, you know, Mm -hmm. just go nuts now. So that was always, I mean, that's a part of my personality that I've always been fully aware of. And I knew that I would have to go cold turkey. And even now, you know, I know there's some people that go off sugar and flour and they can kind of flirt a little bit with having a little bit here and there in moderation. But I think that's the key for people wondering, you know, like, well, could I, do I have to abstain forever? For me personally, yes, I do. But I'm also, you know, I've done the sugar tool that some coaches use. And I, I I mean, I tested off the charts, like I'm really highly addicted. So for me, I don't see me adding it back in because I don't think I could in a way that was just once in a while. But that is where you're saying, you know, collect your data. I love that. It's you have to experiment and -hmm. see what works for you individually. I think there's no one way for everybody here. And I think it is really important to kind of experiment and see, you know, there are some people that can do a 30 day like sugar cleanse. They see, oh, I feel so much better, but they can add a little bit back in without going completely off the rails like I would. And I have to say, you know, since abstaining completely. It is honestly the easiest thing I've ever done ever. Like as far as maintaining this lifestyle, I mean, it was very hard. Don't get me wrong in the beginning and going through the cravings and all that stuff. Um, but it is now the easiest. It's just so much easier for me to say no than it Mm -hmm. ever was trying to say, well, just one bite or one piece, because that always led to, well, just one more. You know, like if I made a batch of cookies, say, and I had them sitting in the freezer, 
I could not rest until that whole bag was gone. Like I try to hide them from myself, you know, and it was just like constantly like my brain, like, remember those cookies or, you know, it was just constant. Remember those are in the freezer. You should really have one. I mean, I'd be that person that would throw food out in the trash can and dig it out the next day because mm-hmm. <laughs> once, you know, cause I was going to start all over tomorrow, you know, or, or Monday or next month. And then that day would come, something would happen that would trigger me. And then I was digging back in the trash for the cake I threw out the night before. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because the obviously the founder of the Quit Sugar Summit, Mike Collins, he's been on this show talking about that as well, is that, you know, digging it out of the trash the next day. And that's a, that's an interesting experience to go through, I think, to really, really get an objective view of yourself to be like, where am I at on this journey? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really common behavior. I was so ashamed, of course, you know, that's another part of this. Usually people are hiding this from loved ones and families. Like I even would hide, um, my mom remembers again, as me, as a kid, I'd hide candy wrappers all over my room. She would find stuff, you know, or I'd hide things in the trash can as I got like kind of shove them down to the bottom. So yeah, I think there's a lot of a shame, you know, around this too. And, you know, it is definitely a, a whole, different kind of low when you're digging food out of the trash can. Like, Ooh, I hope I did, you know, taking other stuff off, making sure, can I still eat this? You know, but I do think it's very common. Like that makes me feel better Mm, knowing that now at the time I thought I was the only person in the world that did this, you know, disgusting thing, but it's really actually quite common with people that struggle with this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said before, like shame is such a big piece of this because it's one of those things that everyone, not quite everyone, but everyone is doing in secret. So everyone feels alone, but the truth is they're actually part of an extremely large group. Yeah. And it's something that like, you know, yes, it's not, it's more socially accepted than, you know, being a heroin addict, but it's still really embarrassing for people, especially I think if you're overweight, you know, then you really want to hide what you're eating. Cause you know, people are judging you and, you know, I, yeah, and I, I've heard people say like, they just don't understand, like if that person's overweight, why don't they just stop eating? And I'm like, you know, it's, and I would always, it's just, we wish it would have been that simple. It's so much more complicated than that. And I think that shame piece and the embarrassment fundamentally comes down to control because if you, you know, you walk down the street and you see somebody abusing their kid or abusing somebody else, the thing that we are often judging is the lack of control in that moment. And I think that a lot of people that are ashamed of this are, are, are ashamed that they're fully grown adults and they don't have control over themselves in a way in which they feel might be beneficial. And I I think that a lot of you know a lot of the functions of humans and interactions of humans come down to control in many different ways whether it be to control somebody else because we can't control ourselves or control ourselves because we can't control the world and you know I think just talking about this and sharing this experience is so unifying in letting people know it's okay we don't always all have control of what's going on yeah and that's like yeah I think control is very key in the health and wellness industry in general. Cause you know, again, a lot of people 
might feel like they don't have control in other areas of their lives, but they will really restrict their diets Mm -hmm. or their exercise program. You know, like they try to find those areas they can really control and hone in on. Where for me, I am, I love to be in control, but food was probably the one area I let myself be completely out of control, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure there was something to that too. Even though I didn't like it, I bet it was freeing for me in some Mm. ways too. So, Further going down that rabbit hole of control, like I often think that, you know, humans have all these different parts that all need attention and all need a place to be expressed. And so if you removed the sugar piece from your life as the area that you let, you know, relinquish control, were you, did you consciously replace that habit with, some, with, with an activity or a thing that allowed you to, to go through those emotions or that, that emotional experience or that letting go of control that didn't involve sugary foods? You know, I, I never really actually thought about it before <laughs> that we're talking about it. But yeah, I really, you know, now that you say that, I'm trying, I think, just to have more fun every single day, just do more fun, adventurous things. You know, um, I think that's the way for me. I love to travel, especially, you know, pre-pandemic. So Mm -hmm. that's been something that I haven't been able to do as much, but that's a way that I can kind of really let go and lose control. And especially traveling somewhere new, you know, there's so many unknowns that you have no control over, but I think I've also just have gotten a lot better about being okay that I don't have control, like focusing on the things that I do and just Mm -hmm. trusting in the things that I don't. So that's been a pretty big personality shift for me since going Mm. off sugar and flour. It's just kind of letting, just accepting that I don't have control and that's okay. Do you think this journey has been easier because you have, and this is potentially a deep question, so feel free to pass on this, but do you you feel that this uh, has been somewhat easier because you've built, you know, a business and an identity around not having sugar in your life, like with your podcast and with what you do. And now it is a core fundamental pillar of who you are to people. Does that, do you think that is is a helpful thing or made things easier or, and, and could people go on this journey that do have a similar personality to, you know, and I'm, I'm very similar. I'm an all in or all out person and had sugar challenges for a lot of my life as well. So I totally relate, but do you think people like us, that don't feel the need to be in the spotlight or putting themselves out there or building a frame, an entire framework in their life that you know, confirms their identity, that they've made the right decisions and they're on the right path and they're doing the right thing. Do you think it's possible for those people to make this change and still do what they do in their own life? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's a really good question because I, I didn't mention when I decided to give up sugar and flour, I did some research at the time and just like for instance, the 12 step program didn't appeal to me. I, I researched, I think there's a lot mother, more options out there now, even like three years later. But at the time I really could not find a program that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if I want this to work, I need to do it my way. Like I just knew that I didn't want to weigh and measure. I don't weigh and measure food. I didn't want to have, you know, attend meetings every day. I just, I'm kind of stubborn too. You know, I just wanted to do it my way because I knew that would be more sustainable for me. If I'm trying to follow follow someone else's plan Mm -hmm. though, and it doesn't work with my life, then I just knew. So when I 
decided to give it up. The two big things were one, I knew I was going to do it for a full year. I had to commit to a full year because I'd done the 30 day thing. And I just knew I've been eating, you know, at the time I was 38. I'm like, I've been eating like this pretty much my whole life. It's not going to take 30 days to, you know, reverse what's going on here. So I made myself do it for a full year. And I said, you know, at the end of that year, if you aren't feeling better, you can just binge your head off for the rest of your life, you know, like (laughs) I can be done, you know? So I'm like, okay, one year. And then the second part was the accountability piece that you're kind of talking about, which I've now built with the podcast. Mm -hmm. But I think it is really hard to do it alone. And most people will say, don't do that. But I'm an example of someone that did do it all by myself. Would I recommend that? No, but I was able to do it. And for me, the accountability piece was I wrote every single day. I just had like a Word document up on my laptop. Day one, what I ate, how I was feeling for the full year, for 365 days, I wrote and I thought, I'm going to turn this into a book because at the time I did not find that there was like, you know, a lot of books about give you know, sugar and how it's bad for you. But I wanted to read someone else's like day to day journey to see like, how do they really feel day to day? How are, you know, not just the after I feel great. I wanted to see people struggle, the struggle too. <laughs> so I wrote this. Every single day, I think within mind that one day I would turn it into a book and uh, it really kept me accountable because I'd be like the days that I was having a tough day. I'm like, these future readers are depending on me. You know, Mm -hmm. I I can't let them down. Yeah. And I find that writing is more difficult for me than speaking. So my podcast has kind of become my oral book, you know, more like (laughs) my audio book, I guess. And I actually, this past season, do recaps from my journal. I'll have month one and I'll actually read from my journal, which I mean, is probably the most vulnerable thing I've ever done because I I did not reread them. I just kind of read them, you know, just, I didn't like edit them. I just Mm -hmm. read them and it brought, I forgot a lot of how I was feeling, especially in those early months. So, um, but yes, to answer your question, I mean, I ended up, choosing accountability that way. And then what I had always told myself was, if I can ever help myself, I am going to help other people. So I just knew, you know, that I didn't want anyone else to feel as lonely and hopeless as I felt for so long. You know, I just thought if I can help even one person or two people like that, just made all makes all the difference. So that's where, you know, also wanting to do the podcast and the book was more out of really wanting to help other people feel the way that I feel now. Mm -hmm. So I think it just depends. I mean, you can still, you know, I still have a regular job and I'm a mom of two young kids. So yeah, I still have, you know, my, my regular life. I don't, I'm not full time unsweetened sayo, but I think, you know, for people, there's plenty of different ways to go about this. And I think, you know, you don't have to, it can just be this one part of your life. But I I find that most people that go on this journey want to share it with other people because they just feel so amazing. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. 
And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Absolutely. A lot of your story that you're telling right now reminds me of another podcast guest that I've had on uh, called Glenn Livingston. And he's a psychologist, a a binge eating psychologist, episode 96. And he wrote a book as well uh, called Never Binge Again, which was his journal of him going sugar free um, in the exact same way. So it it obviously works, right? Like this is, this is something that really, really works, um, works for you, works for him and his clients. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a for anyone listening if you can relate to any of our personalities on any of these episodes pick up some of these tools because they definitely work for people yeah yeah and for me it really did and then once i had more and more days behind me i was like well i've already gone you know a month i don't want to have to start all over again <laughs> it got easier the more time i had behind me and i would say by 9 months for sure, I knew there was no going back. Mm -hmm. I felt so good. I knew that there was no other way for me to live. But I will be honest with people that it took a good five months before I really started feeling a difference. So again, really important that I had already signed up for a full year. Because if I even if I had just said three months, I probably could have given up after three months. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was evident re-looking at my journal and doing those monthly uh, recaps that, yeah, it wasn't really till month five. I finally started losing weight and just sleeping better and just feeling that brain fog go away, having the cravings finally subside, you know, Mm -hmm. or that's the probably the number one benefit to all of this. I think we all, well, if you're a lot of people are addicted to sugar that aren't overweight, but a lot of us are. And I was very overweight, you know, the biggest I had been ever um, at the start of this. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea how much I weighed because I don't believe in weighing yourself. That's a whole other tangent. Yeah, but totally. I don't believe this scale is the, you know, number one indicator of your overall health. So I've threw out the scale a long time ago. So I have no idea how much weight I lost or what. But I just know that was my real motivating factor in the beginning. But now I look at that as just like one of the many side um, benefits uh, of giving up sugar and flour. And more important is this new mental capacity that I have because I'm not spending all day struggling with, am I going to eat that? Am I not going to eat that? Am I going to be good today? Am I going to be bad today? Mm -hmm. Like so much of my energy was consumed by these compulsive thoughts around food and say, you know, Maddie and I, when I come to Australia, Maddie's going to take me out and we're going to eat some kangaroo. Well, you know, I would be, (laughs) I 
I would be obsessed with thinking about food and the, you know, Mm -hmm. like, when am I going to get my next hit? I couldn't even enjoy our conversation and hanging out with a friend. Mm -hmm. It was more about the food than anything else. Like, really, I could care less about the company. (laughs) I just wanted to eat. So that's another big shift for me is Mm. having, you know, again, especially with little kids, they're five and seven. I feel so much more present with them, Mm -hmm. but with my friends and family too, because if we are eating out or, you know, doing takeout now or whatever, I could care less honestly about the food. It it really, now I get it. I'm like, oh no, it really is about the company. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a huge shift too. Um, And that's why I would say there's so many benefits to it besides just losing um, weight physically. But I will admit in the beginning, that's all I cared about and was really, really focused on. So it was really hard when I wasn't really losing weight in those first five months. But then once it started coming off, it happened pretty quickly. And people would just, you know, wow, Siobhan, you look great. Like, what are you doing? Your skin looks clear. You look brighter. Your eyes are clear. You know, all that stuff. So yeah, that sounds amazing. And I'm glad you've made that uh, transition because we're going to go to some amazing places when you come to Melbourne. (laughs) Yes. Oh, no. And I mean, I am excited to try kangaroo, but I'll be excited to hang out with you too. So (laughs) it won't be just about the food. Well, I'm glad to know. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> you me- you mentioned a few times that you're a mother. So with this transition, like, so you said you've been on this journey since 2018, but you've got a five and a seven-year-old. So you've, so you've obviously been in these two different chapters as a mother, right? Yes. So, so how is home life? How do you work with the kids and the family with this transition and where you're at now and where you were before? How has the family dynamic changed? Well, you mentioned Mike Collins from, you know, the one of the hosts of the Quit Sugar Summit. And mm-hmm. I was always so in awe of him and his wife for being like completely sugar free from, you know, when she was pregnant with twins, you know, they didn't she didn't eat any sugar and the kids didn't consume sugar until like five years old. And I mean, I just thought that was amazing. And I know other yeah. women that are sugar addicts that have known that when they got pregnant, they stopped eating it. But, and this still brings me a lot of shame. I was not that woman. (laughs) I mean, for both of my kids, I had a really hard time getting pregnant Mm -hmm. with my son. It took a few years. I had losses. I mean, it was, it was definitely a journey. And when I finally was, um, you know, pregnant, I was eating a lot better, but I still ate sweets and sugar, you know, more than I would have liked to. Mm -hmm. But interestingly for me in pregnancy, I wouldn't say I binged though. Like I probably felt like the, a normal eater for the first time in my life with with those pregnancies. So I Mm -hmm. would have treats, but not to the point of really we're binging. But anyway, my kids were exposed to it in utero, you know, both of them. Um, and then same with nursing. I, I, you know, nursed both kids and, I was that person that gained weight from nursing. You know, everyone's like, that's a brilliant way to lose the baby weight. Not me. Something, and I've heard this with other women too, that are addicted to sugar. It just triggered sugar cravings for me, even Mm -hmm. more than pregnancy. So during pregnancy, I felt balanced. But as I was nursing both kids, I couldn't get enough sugar. So again, Interesting. I wish I had given them a better start. But to be completely honest, I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. And however, I also knew I wanted to be a good example for them. So even when they were really little and started eating solids and stuff, we we did not introduce sugar to them. You know, I was that person for their first 
one year birthday cake, it was sweetened with like banana and applesauce. You know, I Mm -hmm. really tried to avoid real sugar for a while um, and was just really aware that here's their beautiful little bodies that I'm in charge of. I didn't want to like fill it up with, you know, all these chemicals and toxins. Like I was, I knew, but at the same time, such a hypocrite because once they were in bed and I was always careful of what I ate in front of them too, even though at this point they're like three and two years old or whatever. But I know that kids see a lot more, you know, it's like, you have to be really careful modeling your actions too. You can tell them one thing, but they're really listening more to Mm. what you're doing, what they're seeing. Yeah. So I would never eat in front of them any kind of sweets and stuff. So when they went to bed, that would be a different story. I might have like an ice cream Sunday party, but it was always really careful what I ate in front of them and never, even at that point had been, you know, gaining weight. I, I was very careful never saying anything bad about my body or body image, you know, always Mm -hmm. stayed really positive. So that part I do applaud myself on, you know, absolutely. You should be proud. Yeah. And, and so as I started the journey, obviously they were, you know, really little, like four and three, I guess. And, um, so they didn't really, they weren't really aware of it as it was happening. I don't know if they really noticed any difference. I did only tell like my husband and that I think that was it in the beginning, because again, I have tried every single diet. I was a vegan for a while. You know, I've was paleo. I mean, I've tried every single way of eating for so long. I think that my family extended family just kind of rolls their eyes. Like, what are you eating or not eating now? So I was really scared and hesitant to tell them, Oh, this is my newest thing until again, about that five month mark when I was really picking up steam and it felt like something I could keep doing. Then I kind of shared, you know, what I was doing with other people. Um, but now, so that's kind of how, you know, before I've really made the transition, I don't think the kids were impacted that much, but now that they're older, they know that I don't eat sugar and flour because it just, and I don't say it's a diet. It just doesn't make me feel well, you know, is what I tell them. I I have a hard time. I'm like, you know, it's okay in moderation, but I've always had a hard time eating it in moderation. And so they have had stuff, but we're still, you know, really limited, um, try to limit what they eat. So, and that could be a whole other episode. There's just so many challenges with kids from, Mm. you know, extended family, but schools, even go to the dentist, you know, and they want to give them stuff uh, like, you know, a lollipop, you know, (laughs) from the doctor. I'm like, come on. So it's definitely a struggle against society's, you know, kind of norms and all of this. But I just talk to them about it and just say, Mm -hmm. this is we eat this way. This is healthier for our body. And I'm just really open about it. But still very careful not to say this is a diet or I'm trying to lose weight or, you know, I just avoid talking about all that all together. Yeah. More talking about how health, how it makes us feel on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, for a good example is my daughter had, um, we had had some Thai food. I, my brother and sister-in-law were in town and ordered Thai food from a restaurant they really liked. And I ended up just bringing my own food because it was easier and they're just used to me doing that now. But my daughter, who's five, really wanted to try this fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had really hadn't had anything fried before. So I gave her like a few little pieces and then she asked for more and someone else gave her more and then someone else gave her more, which I didn't realize. And probably she 
didn't eat that. I mean, maybe the equivalent of like, like one chicken finger, but she hadn't had fried food before. And that night before she went to bed, she was like, mommy, my, my belly really, really hurts. And it was right. a great conversation. Cause I was like, Oh, why do you think, you know, do you, of course I'm always like, do you have to poop? <laughs> you know, that's like number one, <laughs> do you have to poop now? You know, did you drink enough water today? You know, we're talking about that. And I'm like, well, what did you eat? I knew in my head, but I didn't want to say it, you know? And she's like, well, I had that, you know, chicken. Do you think that could, and I'm like, well, maybe you just had a little bit too much. You know, we just talked about how her body isn't used to eating that way. And maybe next time she just sticks with like, you know, maybe two bites of it or something. So it was really mm-hmm. good making that connection of eating something and then experiencing that, oh, it didn't really make me feel really well afterwards. So I'm trying to do that with them. I guess, you know, I, I can't, obviously, I wish I could just eliminate it all together, but I don't think that's realistic. And I don't want them to turn into one of those kids that I grew up with that then go crazy when they are out of the house. I'd rather educate them and help them become aware of the connection to what they eat and how they feel. I think that's, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I think that's what uh, one of the things about being a great parent or a great coach is that you help the individual in front of you self-investigate and find the answer themselves, right? That's the difference between like a coach and a consultant is that the doctor or the nutritionist or the consultant says, this is what's wrong. The coach says, what do you think is wrong? You know, and it's such a different like framing because the one empowers the individual and one, you know, spoon feeds the individual. And when you're not around that person, well, you can't self-regulate because you never develop the tools. You just kept being told all the things you should feel and shouldn't feel. And so, yeah, I think that's a great example for for lots of parents listening to, you know, it, it is kind of a coaching process to teach someone to self-investigate. And, and we still do that, you and I, with, you know, grown adults that never learnt how to self-investigate or what feelings in their body are meant to feel like. They've never even thought about it. Like one of the most challenging uh, things that comes up with the clients that I work with is that I have this exercise called the Y times five. And when they have the idea is just to self-observe. So when you go to have, uh, you know, some what I call mood food or some sugar or some fried food or whatever, I get people to say, just not, not necessarily stop the action in the beginning, but just observe why is this happening? And then try and go five layers deep for why this is happening. And most, like I have had people at that step block me on Facebook. Like <laughs> l- literally people are so confronted by that question that they've, because they've never been parented or taught in their whole lives and they might be 50 or 60 when they've come to me. And so I think, yeah, I think that is a really good takeaway from this episode as a parent, as a coach, as, as even as a friend, you know, I think it's such a powerful way to help people learn about themselves. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, I'm just thinking too, it's really important. Like we kind of talked about earlier, is just modeling that behavior. So I'm thinking there might be people listening that have older kids And they're already eating a bunch of stuff. And it's like, well, how do I transition them now? Mm, And I think number one is for people, um, if you can do it as a family, it's so much more powerful. 
and they're going to be watching what you're eating too, you know, and making it kind of fun and experimenting together, getting them involved and cooking the food, shopping for the food. I take the kids grocery shopping with me. And we know I hate going down this, the dreaded cereal aisle because it's like, oh, Paw Patrol cereal, unicorn, cereal, you know. <laughs> and so we read like the back of, I read them the ingredients and they laugh at like all the chemical names. I'm like, yeah, like, if we can't pronounce this, we probably shouldn't eat it. And they really kind of like are okay with that, you know. So I think it's, can you can make it fun and like a learning experience for kids as well. And not, you know, my son who's, seven will be like, well, you know, why do they make food like that for kids then if it's not good for them? I'm like, exactly. Great (laughs) question. (laughs) From the mouth of a seven-year-old, why do they, you know? So, yeah. but also, you know, teaching them, I think this actually segues, if we have enough time, I know we were going to talk about emotions a little bit, because I feel like that's my, you know, really kind of second part of the journey was how to, deal with some of these uncomfortable emotions that started coming up that I used to stuff down with food, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, that was my coping process was I'd eat about it, bad day, eat about it. Like I said, good day, eat about it. But especially for those uncomfortable feelings, I don't think I really ever knew how to um, just process them. So it's another thing I'm trying to do with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I got certified in something called the emotion code because it was so powerful for me and my journey. And I'm using that, incorporating that with my coaching clients too. Cause I think I wish that I had had it in the beginning of my journey. I was Mm -hmm. about a year sugar and flour free before I started doing it, but I think it would have been even more helpful in the very beginning. But basically, it's a way of releasing trapped emotions that get stuck in the body. Mm -hmm. And really, any adult has, you know, over, they say, at least like 400 uh, trapped emotions that you've trapped at one time or another that your subconscious just didn't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. And this is a way to name them and release them. And I do it with my kids. So it's really great because, you know, so many times and I get it. I have been that parent that's like, use your words or please, for the love of God, stop crying. But then I'm like, (laughs) well, should we emotion code about this? You know, I try because it is I I get it. It's really hard. But I'm realizing if I can give my kids these tools, Mm -hmm. they're going to be so much better off as adults because so many of us didn't learn about nutrition when we were little, you know, and we didn't learn about how to deal with tough emotions. So, and I love now that my kids will come to me when they're having a hard time. I've taught them like meditation and breathing techniques, other things too. I try to like let them have their own little toolkit. So when they are freaking out and melting down, which is basically a daily occurrence for one or both of them, I'm like, what tools do you want to use? And a lot of times now they'll say, oh, mommy, I could use some emotion code. Wow. You know, let's do some emotion code. Yeah. And what's really, you know, it's a chart of about 60 different emotions. So say, for instance, like frustration is the trapped emotion that I find for them. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about what I, I define it for them and then give them an example. Well, you might feel frustrated when your brother takes your toy from you. And, you know, my daughter will think about it and be like, oh, yeah. And then she'll say, well, I was frustrated at school today when this happened. So it's a great way to give them, um, you know, kind of the the feel, the, the definitions of the feelings, mm. too, and help them kind of name it. So um, 
that's been really, really powerful and kind of fun to do in our, in our house. And I'm hoping that helps them, you know, in the future. Cause there's so many times I think it's just easy to, if a kid's crying to give them a candy or a lollipop. And mm. I'm very careful about that and not rewarding or bribing with food either. Cause these are all behaviors that we learn at such an early age. And then, like you said, as an adult have to go to a coach to kind of get them out of our, you know, build these new habits. So I think it's so important and it can really start at any age, you know, but especially if you can start with your kids now, you're giving them such a huge gift, you know, for them growing up. Yeah, I think uh, like in modern psychology, a significant portion of the work that psychologists do is reparenting. Like there's books on reparenting because people just weren't parented uh, as kids. And, and that's not to judge everyone's parents. Like everybody was doing the best that they could at the time. And fortunately, in this era of human history, we have the resources and the academic intellect to be able to know this. Uh, but yeah, I think reparenting, whether you are hearing this podcast for the first time and learning how maybe to work with your own children, or you're going on your own healing journey and think, oh, actually, I could probably do with some reparenting. I think it's a really powerful approach. Uh, and so you obviously, as you said, are certified in the Emotion Code and you've shared such an amazing story with us today of your own journey. So where can people find you online to get more of Siobhan? <laughs> yes, you can find me on unsweetensio.com. You can, if you're interested in the Emotion Code, I have uh, information about it up there. You can book an appointment there. I do group coaching for sugar addiction. So yeah, find me there. I'm also on social media now, new to social media. So come follow Welcome. me at Unsweetened Sio. <laughs> yes, I'm still kind of building up there. Um, but yeah, I'm sure you'll provide all the links and stuff. So yes, would love to have yeah your listeners follow me. Yep, I'll put all the links in the show notes below. And remember, if you've enjoyed this episode or got anything out of it, take a screenshot or share it with a family member or friend that you think could benefit. And if you do take a screenshot, put it into your social media stories and tag both myself and Siobhan uh, so we can give you a shout out on our stories as well. And so, Siobhan, to finish up, I ask this question of everyone because I'm super curious of the answer. What of all the things we've touched on today or maybe something external to that, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? You know, what just jumped into my head and I didn't plan on saying this is the scale piece. Um, thinking about how people, um, how I said I don't weigh myself or anything, but the piece of information that I got that really changed my life around mm -hmm. that was when someone told me that you do not have to get weighed when you go to like the doctor's office. Right. You know, they weigh you for everything. You can actually say, I do not want to be weighed today. And that was so empowering for me because so many times I'd be on this good kick. I'd go to the doctor, almost want to cancel my appointment because I didn't want to know what I weighed. I'd you know, be like, don't tell me. But somehow I'd look and find out, you yeah. know, and it could just make or break my day because of a stupid number that didn't mesh with where I thought I should be. Mm -hmm. So it was really, really empowering for me to learn. You can actually just say, no, thank you. And I've done that now for like five years. Every time I go to the doctor, I'm like, nope. And I've never had anyone, you know, say, oh, well, you have to. Mm -hmm. So I just want to share that. I mean, it wasn't really what I thought I was going to say. But in case anyone's listening, especially if that makes you hesitant to go to a doctor or somewhere where you have to get mm -hmm. weighed, just know that that's an option. You do, you do not have to. Say no to the scales. 
Say no to the scale. (laughs) (laughs) Siobhan, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. I definitely think we've got lots more to talk about, so let's do more of these in the future. But uh, thanks for being here and all the best. I would love to. Thank you. This has been great. Awesome. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.